0: turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, if you're using the book that's in the pew or chair, that blue Bible, it's on page 1015. We're going to read several sections of 1 Peter. And you'll see from these passages, they more or less combine this Last idea that we began to deal with last week, as we talked about many aspects of outreach, motivating, talking about the authority of Christ over the world as he sends us forth, talking about his presence with us. And by the way, I've got eight pages done on the little handout, and I'll finish the rest of it to give you for next Lord's Day. I've just got this part on sharing that we're going to deal with today. But uh, as we've gotten to the more practical thing, we came last week to a simple little three-part outline, prayer, uh, care, and share. Very, very simple. But for most of us, it can be a helpful tool, helpful reminder of just the basic things that we're supposed to be doing with uh, everyone that we come into contact with. With the various, uh, whether business associates or somebody you meet in school, somebody in the neighborhood, even family That we are praying for them, very specific prayers uh, that God would work in our lives and in their lives. That we are caring in very specific ways, showing ourselves to be servants uh, of Christ and showing the love of Christ in very tangible ways. And then in that context, in an ongoing relationship, to share either whole or parts of the good news of Jesus Christ, to uh, share different aspects of what God has revealed in Scripture. So, to this morning we're going to talk more about the sharing aspect. And, of course, there are books written, there are whole courses in seminary taught on this, and so we're just obviously giving a bare touch on it, and there'll be a, a bit more in the outline. But hopefully some helpful things to you as you think about sharing the gospel. But we'll begin in chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. And here in these first verses, a declaration of who we are and what our purpose is as the people of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is borrowing language from the Old Testament when uh, when God spoke to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. And Peter's using this same language now to describe the church. You are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And of course, all of that, becoming the people of God and receiving mercy is to the end. Verse nine, that you may proclaim his excellencies. And then in verses 11 and 12, there's a application of that beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There were many rumors that floated around, of course, that they were cannibalistic, these Christians, because they ate the body and blood of Christ, the Lord's Supper. Uh, their uh, warm affection for each other uh, garnered accusations of immorality. All kinds of things floated around the church at that time. And here he says, in the midst of that, keep your conduct honorable, continue to live righteously and servant lives So that when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and instead glorify God. So the emphasis on living out that Christian life. So that's part of when it says you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Of course, it's by word, but it's by deed as well. By word and deed, proclaim the glory of God. Notice the application in chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives. Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. So he's speaking to uh, believing wives who have unbelieving husbands. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So rather than being a woman that all the time is harping on him to get to church, you know, and blasting him for all the things he does, etc., No, live out a holy and godly life before him, a life of servanthood and love. So be the kind of wife that turns his head and makes him wonder what makes her tick. That's the idea. Even without a word, he says, maybe one without a word. So it shows the the place that our character plays, how huge that is in all of the New Testament teaching about outreach. Certainly, nothing like going around, just knocking on doors, getting, you know, or you heard, you may have read that book years ago, The Gospel Blimp, Joe Bailey, where the blimp goes around and just drops tracks on every city and says, we've evangelized all the cities, we've got tracks everywhere, you know, and he's using that as a kind of parable for how often we don't really get involved in people's lives. We don't really befriend people and love people and serve people. And in that context, uh, in a wise way, in a friendly way, in a way that engages them and and we we share uh, the gospel. Then notice in verse 8, one more section. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Now here, Peter is speaking in the context of suffering. He had dealt with suffering in chapter one. He returns to that theme in chapter four. So he's speaking to people that are bearing up under a lot of persecution and suffering from their society. But notice in verse 9, don't repay evil for evil when it's done for you. When people revile you, don't revile back. He even in chapter 2 had given the example of Christ in this regard. For, and he quotes now the Old Testament from the Psalms, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You see, all this is in regard to those around you see, seek peace and pursue it with those around you. Turn away from evil. Do good to them. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Very interesting that your relationship to God is bound up in the way you love people around you. And if you get caught up in their evil when they've done evil to you and you're sucked into it and you just give tit for tat, then he says, You're you're endangering your life with with the Lord. You're turning away from him if you make that a habit in your life. Now, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the tremendous privilege of being associated with Jesus Christ. We are associated with him in your presence. He is the means by your grace by which we sinful though we be, can stand in the holy presence of God with joy, with comfort, knowing Your love and smile upon us because You see us in Christ Jesus, clothed in His righteousness, which is perfect. Oh, we praise You, Lord, for that intimacy by which we can call You Abba or Daddy, Father. We thank You for Your presence in our lives We thank you for the grace of Christ, which flows to us day after day. And Lord, in this association, we pray that we will be even like the apostles who counted it a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. That our association in your presence that we rejoice in will be an association that we rejoice in in this world, even if it should mean loss. Even if it should mean rejection. And that like our Lord, we will return good for evil. Blessing for cursing. And instead of reviling, Lord, we will make ourselves servants of those. Even as the Lord served us when we were enemies. And laid down his life for us when our backs were turned upon him. Oh Lord, thank you for that love. And thank you for the opportunity that we might live out that love and proclaim that glorious love to a dark and hurting and lost and broken world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, prayer, care, and share. We're going to talk about share today. And the first thing that we said last week as we began on this subject is listen. So before share, there's the ear if you want to get close to a rhyme there. But to share before sharing, we've got to listen. And I won't go over that again, but to understand where people are coming from. People are on a spectrum. They can be everywhere from. Not believing in God at all or having a very uh, an opposite view, a very different view of God than we do all the way to the point that they adopt almost everything that we think and yet have not given themselves in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. Well, where are they? What do they think about God? How what have been their experiences? What what are their hopes and dreams? What are their what have they suffered? What what's going on in their life? And we're not here trying to lay out a formula for successful evangelism. We're just talking about love here, okay? We're not trying to plan, how can you get more notches on your gun, you know? Well, fake that you care for people and this is how you fake it. You know, like uh, I had a guy one time was in my office. He was uh, raising money for a good organization. It was a, uh, an orphanage. And, uh, but he put me off real fast when, uh, we met and I said, uh, he said, what's your name, Darrell? Uh huh. Uh, and Darrell, uh, how long have you been here? Well, I've been at this church, maybe a few months. I mean, uh huh. Uh huh. You know, and just, everything he said was just jumped on me. And, and then he asked about my wife and I told her that she worked at this little dress shop in Memphis and the like. And when we prayed, he grabbed my hand and we were praying and he said, Lord, I pray for Darwin and I pray for Kay. I feel like I've known her my whole life. <laughs> he didn't even matter, you know. Well, that's an extreme example, of course. But you get the point that we want to embrace people and truly love people and care for them. Uh, and so we must listen. A second thing I just want to underscore, and I'm going to say several quick things, and then we're going to get to some uh, things about apologetics, perhaps, or how do we present uh, the things that we believe? How, how do we lay before them reasons? Because 1 Peter 3.15 here says, be ready to give a defense or to give a reason for the hope that is in you. The idea is that you've rubbed shoulders so much with someone that they see a hope in you, that they see something about their lot, your life, that you have gotten close enough to each other that they know something about what you believe or that you believe. And they see some evidence of something in your life and they're actually asking you. That doesn't mean that you always have to wait for someone to ask you, but it does show that there's a wisdom in being ready to answer at the right time. To share at the point where a friendship bears that. Where there's an openness and a willingness. We're never wanting to trap someone and stuff something down their throat. Uh, We want to treat them uh, in honor and respect as human beings. So, a second thing, though, is to give a testimony of how you perhaps have come to know Christ. And, more importantly, perhaps, for them, what Christ means to you in particular areas of your life. How has he affected your marriage? How has he affected the way you do your work? How has he affected the way you look at the world? How has he transformed your life? What is there about this life that would draw someone to it? How has he helped you in dealing with worry or tragedy or loss in your life? These kinds of things are good in those early stages. Simply sharing uh, in a real subjective way of what has happened in your life. And how you've come to know Christ. Many of you have heard me several times give my testimony of being this child in school in 11, about 11 years old. Ask uh, if you could be anybody in history, who would you be? And I said, the thief on the cross. Because at that point, I thought he was the only one that was knew he was going to heaven. And that's been very helpful for people to hear that and realize, well, you know, I'm kind of in that mode too of, Trying to be good enough to go to heaven Uh, because that's the way I was at that time. I thought you had to be good enough and who could know if you're going to be good enough or not. And so you wouldn't find out till you got there. And so the only guy that knew he was going to heaven was the thief on the cross because Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise. That was my life. It defined my life, defined my view of God at the time. So those things in your life. You'll have different things to share, but those are important. And it's a way to just share your heart with someone, share who you are in Christ with someone. And that's not separate from just being a friend. This is who I am. This is how I think uh, as we get to know each other more and more. And you can always remember a basic, very basic outline Though we will enlarge on this. But there are simple things that we're created by God. Therefore, we're responsible to God, but we're created for God as well. This wonderful thing that God made us for himself. I think that's so important for people to understand. A basic aspect of what you believe about yourself and all mankind. We were made for God. We were made to enjoy him. We were made to delight in him and trust him and obey him. To be in this glorious relationship with him. But what's happened? We, mankind, we've turned our back on him. And in turning our back on him, we've turned our back on each other. The stories, how how can you even name the stories of the way mankind has mistreated mankind, both on large scale and within every family, within every relationship. How we are broken because we've turned away from God And therefore, because God is love and we've turned our back upon God to trust him and love him supremely, then we're we're broken in the way we treat one another. But then, of course, the message is what? In love, God came to rescue us through Jesus Christ and to restore us to himself and to each other. See, that's just the basic message, isn't it? God made us for himself. We turned our back on him and on one another in the process. He sends his son to gather us back to rescue us and draw us back to himself and to one another. So our salvation is not simply that we're restored to God, but he creates a community, a new community, a new place where peace can break out and servanthood and love of a whole different caliber. That's the importance of our living out. A love amongst one another so that, as Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples because of that new love, that restoration that shows itself in your midst. You see, that simple kind of outline you can always have in your head and kind of figure out, now, where are they? Do they need to understand more about who God is? Uh, Do they don't believe that God is really a creator and they have a responsibility toward him? Uh, Perhaps I could say some things that draw them to that attractive, glorious truth of being able to fellowship with this God and recognize this God. Do they believe in the basic idea of being created by God? But are they like I was thinking that there can if they please God enough, then perhaps they can end up in fellowship with him? Well, that's simple. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but. Really, the details of that are not difficult. It's just a matter of kind of having the whole picture in your head and then speaking to people as as is needed. Now, along those lines, I would urge you to share this in pieces with people. Uh, don't think that you've got to do it all in you know, one dump truck. Uh, fashion, and then I'm out of here. You know, cold turkey, dump truck, I'm out of here. Many times, that's what people's experience has been with believers. No real relationship, no concern to have an ongoing relationship, just I've got this thing, I've got to say it, and then don't bother me if you're going to say no. So <clears throat> remember that <clears throat> this person could be anywhere along the way to God, And you may be used in countless ways and will be used in countless ways to further them along that path. And you may just be one instrument of many that will further them on the path. One of many occasions for helping someone finally come to know and believe in Jesus Christ. So it's important not to to feel desperate that right now, this time, if, if they don't pray to receive Christ, if I don't get the whole thing out, And then you begin to force things sometimes. You hold them up. They're trying to get somewhere. Oh, I've got one, three more points here. You know, that kind of, kind of like me preaching, right? Um, but we don't, we want to, for things to be natural and to realize, uh, this conversation may last five minutes. It may be a 30 minute one day. We may have a two hour conversation. Let's see how the Lord opens it up. And realize that your hospitality, may open their hearts to come with you later to a small group Bible study or to a party that you have at your home for people in the neighborhood. And then you have a couple of friends from the church there, and that may open another door where they find out some common thing that they have, and they go off and do something uh, together because of their common ground. Uh, You may have a brief conversation over coffee or the back fence, and after you've watched a movie together, after your kids have gone swimming together, You may be the one who shares or they may hear it first at a Bible study or a Sunday school or worship or with someone else. Uh, Who knows how it will happen? Um, But here's the point. Be a part of the process in caring and and sharing. Just be a part of that process. Make yourself available. Spend yourself in loving and, and being a real friend to those. With the unchurched, God almost always uses different encounters and conversations and events, relationships, meetings, and teachings over a period of time. And again, let's get out of the cold turkey dump truck, I'm out of here approach. I'll uh, give one example, or two examples uh, from the first church that I was in. Uh, there was a, a, a Buddhist fella from uh, Malaysia, Leon Guanli. And I first met Leon Guan when I was invited to give a, a lecture at a class at Northeast University, which it was called at that time in Monroe. I think it's University of Louisiana in Monroe now. And uh, he was in that class. And I think I was giving some aspect of Christianity in some kind of historic uh, religions class. So Leon Guan Lee, Lee uh, met me afterwards and said, I'd like to talk to you further about this so we had a meeting and then we began to study the book of John i didn't initially attack buddhism or uh, talk about you know the meaning of life or or who god is i simply let him look at who christ was and over those weeks and months and in the association of the fellowship of the church he came to know christ later went to reform seminary himself married a christian uh, girl and And happened, though he could have done many different things, he happened to go back into ministry in the East. Another fella, Ronnie Medlin, his wife was pregnant, lived next door to uh, a family in our church. And Ronnie was, as he would tell you, set against any kind of Christianity whatsoever. Didn't want to be bothered by Christians. Didn't want to ever go to church. And yet, as his wife had their baby and the church through this couple next door, cared for them, he was overwhelmed with the, the love of that church. Overwhelmed with the love of our people. And in a couple of months after that, there he shows up in worship. People keep gathering around and open up their hearts to them. And he's been a deacon in that church for years now. Um, but these are just examples of how one thing and the next, different ways uh, God will draw people to himself. Uh, <clears throat> We've got those stories in our own church uh, of people who were next door to somebody and and they're here because of that. Praise God for the way he works in that way. Well, these are very simple things, uh, a basic way to approach things of caring people and then sharing the gospel in the midst of that. Let me just lay out a few things to think about. If you're. Specifically here in 1 Peter 3.15, giving a reason or defense to anyone who asks you or defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Several things to think about. One is, though you might not think the Trinity is a good place to start because you think, well, if I start off with the Trinity, then they're going to be scratching their head and saying, well, what in the world are you talking about? Three persons in one God. And yet, some of the most marvelous things are found in the very doctrine of God Himself. I think one of the most effective apologetics or defense or maybe even explanations of human nature is found in the fact that God Himself is in relationship. God Himself is family. God Himself is. Has fellowship. And we are made in His image. That is why relationship is so critical to us. That's why we're destroyed with that relationship. That's why children must have relationship from the beginning. And we know that the terrible effects on the child. If in some orphanages the child is just left to itself. Hardly ever touched and just sustained with food and water. That the child is just literally destroyed as a human being if it doesn't have human touch. Why is that? Why are we so relational? We say we're made in the image of God. The universe is defined by this. God is relationship. Why is divorce so devastating? Why is loneliness and broken relationship? Why are these so devastating? Because we're made for relationship. We're made like the God who is Relationship. And so as you're giving a reason to say, this is why uh, I think that this explains so well who we are as human beings, because just look at who God declares himself to be in the scriptures, how he has made man and then his command to man is what? Love. As Jesus summarized, it's love to God and love to people. Can we oppose that? Can we say that's not good? It it doesn't help people. It doesn't transform societies or marriages or families. Uh, And because the love that is commanded there. So here's the Trinity. I, I, I would put that out there to say, don't forget about the Trinity. Don't think that that's too difficult. It's one of the most wonderful aspects of the glory of God. And then secondly, I think focusing upon Christ himself, focusing upon Christ himself, exposing people to the Lord Jesus. It's easy to try to get into a long, hard debate about the meaning or the existence of God. And I think for most of us, we can Realize that people have their own philosophy or their own religious view of these things. We have a religious view that we get from the scriptures. And so what you're doing is not simply trying to convince and feel like, oh, I've messed up if I'm not convincing them by all these arguments in the existence of God. Rather, simply present the Lord Jesus Christ and let that be a wedge to try to drive into their hearts to say, here is a person that you have to deal with. Here's a reason why. I've dedicated myself to Christianity. It's because of the person of Jesus Christ. All that He is and all the glory that is revealed in Him. First of all, the teaching, and I'll hand this out, of course, next week, but the teaching of Christ's own love. The Scriptures teach committed love, persevering love, sacrificial love, wise and joyful, satisfying, purposeful love. Think how glorious the Scriptures are in holding forth that. And Jesus Christ Himself held it up and said, everything is summarized here. Love God and love people. So we can, I hope, be very proud in a sense to say, oh, listen to how Jesus teaches. Know oh, how important this has been in my marriage. How important this has been with my children. How important this has been in relationships that Jesus teaches this love. But not only that He teaches... But he's shown the character of love. You can talk about the compassion that Christ had, especially for people rejected by the self righteous religious community. And that can sometimes communicate to someone who wants to be around self righteous hypocrites. Well, Jesus didn't either. He had his worst words spoken against that. And he contrasted that with his own compassion for them, though it made The leader's mad and suspicious of him. You think of Jesus when John the Baptist, who understood him best, was beheaded. And it says that Jesus went off to be with his disciples alone. And you can just imagine how broken he was and how his whole body probably ached at the thought that John was gone and it was a precursor of his own death. And the multitudes came to him. And you'd think, I mean, I would just think, please go away. okay." I'm hurting here. Just leave me alone. Can I have five minutes to myself? And it said he had compassion on the multitude in the midst of his pain. And he gave himself freely to them. And you see this on the cross. Here he is suffering, bearing the sins of mankind and rejected and hated and abused and spat upon in all these horrible ways. And yet he had mercy on his own. Mother and committed her to John. He saw the thief on the cross come to know him. And then he pronounced that great statement Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, the love of this Christ that is set before us. Is there anyone in history, any human being in history, that holds a candle to the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice? And then to step further into the romance of the incarnation itself, of God going for his bride, the people of God, and sacrificing for them. It's the classic example which every society has of the knight, you know, or the, the, uh, the man going to rescue the princess from the dragon. And here is the Father sending His Son to come and rescue us from the dragon, from Satan himself, from being bound in sin. And so this romance and wonder and beauty of God taking up our cause, of God becoming man, and though we had sinned against Him, His taking that sin upon Himself. How can we fathom the humility of this God? The glory of this God? What other religion comes close to talking about a God who would take man's sin upon himself? That humility, that love. There's nothing in the ballpark, nothing in the ballpark of a God like this reaching out to sinners, showing such compassion that he would die in their place. Or we can speak as we talk about the person and work of Christ of Forgiveness in counselors, counselor after counselor will tell you of the guilt that people are ridden with. And here at the root, interestingly, at the root of Christianity is forgiveness to be absolutely guilt free. To know that you're accepted by God. Not as a way to say, oh, it doesn't matter what I've done or been. But that is part of what transforms me, turns my life around so that I begin to show that kind of love to other people. This to me is a powerful thing. That forgiveness affects a person's psyche and well-being. This intimacy with God, knowing that we're His children, it affects every relationship that we have. His patience with me enables me to exercise patience. His bearing with me and forgiving me helps me to bear with others and forgive others. When I never would have done it, I never would have done it. And to me, this is a wonderful thing that we can present and say, this is one of the reasons for the hope within me. Forgiveness has transformed my life. It's transformed my relationships. It gives me a resiliency and a a giving of myself that I never could have known apart from that forgiveness. It gives me a whole new perspective and energy concerning my problems because I believe that God is in control of all things. He says He works all things together for His people. He is present with me. He enables me to face challenges in my life and I have the final hope of the new heavens and the new earth. If I lose everything in this world, I still have the glories of heaven that are beyond imagination. And it has it always given the church... A strength and a resiliency, even to the point that they did studies in the floods in Colorado. Flood, they did, uh, uh, an independent group did studies of Christians who suffered loss and unbelievers who suffered loss. And the psychologist said there were significant, tangible differences in the way the Christians went through that suffering because of their belief in the presence of God and the working of God and the sovereign purpose of God. There are a lot of other things to say about the work of Christ. You could set forth and say, you know, I, I just can't... The, the, the truth of the resurrection is just there. How do we deal with the resurrection? And that's happened to me many times when I've struggled with the... Uh, suffering in the world and I've, I've, I've struggled with the problem of evil again and again I've come back to the resurrection and uh, how in the world can we explain the fact that Christ was risen from the dead that Jews themselves who believe uh, who, who had every reason not to believe this then were convinced and even died telling people that they saw the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead even 500 people as Paul says. And of course, you could even talk about the conversion of Paul, but I'll leave those uh, later for you. I just wanted to mention creation, not to go into any lengthy discussion about uh, science and the like, but just this aspect of letting people know that as we enjoy creation to the full and even enjoy legitimate culture to the full knowing that we are made in God's image, that God has made all things, that we belong to God, that we not only admire and taste and drink in the thing itself, whether it's an ice-cold piece of watermelon or it's a dolphin frolicking by your boat or it's stars at night, but we have the great privilege of, of knowing the God that made it. There's, there's a dimension of our enjoyment of creation that goes beyond anything in that we do drink it in. We do have the deepest appreciation for what God has made, the magnificence and the goodness of it. But then in embracing the thing itself, we get to fellowship with the God who made it. And that's one of those reasons that we can set forth and say, for me personally, it would be A most terrible amputation and shut me up into a box almost to think that I would be shut off in my enjoyment of creation from enjoying the God that made that creation. From experiencing Him and trusting Him and believing in Him. That dimension of joy and personal relationship of the God that made it all. And even when we think of man's capacity to create and build, this is because he's made in the image of God who creates and builds. That our being made by God explains not only our relationships to one another, made in the image of the God who is fellowship, but the God who creates, the God who makes, the God whose creativity and wisdom is displayed in all the things that are made in the intimate structures and systems of say any organism that you look at and then we in his image begin to make things and build things and construct things after the image of God Uh, and so we enjoy all of, uh, of culture because it is too a reflection of the God who has made us and I won't be able to touch much on this but i'll include it in the papers but one of the biggest struggles in my life as a believer and many of you know this has been uh, the aspect of suffering not my own suffering because I've, rel- I've had relatively little suffering in my life but take this incident with the uh, amish girls that will that will put me on the mat for a little while with the lord uh, i will struggle with it I'll be honest with you. I will struggle with it. I struggle with, you know, the power of God and the goodness of God. How are they displayed in that? I struggle having to submit myself to this God, realizing that all I see is one little thread and I don't see the fabric that he's working. I don't see the thousands of people that are affected in one way or another. I don't see behind the scenes after death what kind of judgment and blessing occur to people. I only think of, boy, I wish he'd saved this and judged that guy temporarily, And God may be saying to me, hey, I'm gonna be a, do a lot better job at that than you can imagine. Okay? You don't have to, you don't have to call me on the carpet about judgment or blessing. But one of the things that has helped me again and again, and The problem of suffering is true from any philosophical viewpoint, any religious viewpoint. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with the problem of evil? But the most amazing, helpful thing to me again and again that I've come back to is that God did not sit in the stands in regard to suffering. I've sometimes said unwisely and and foolishly, Oh Lord, I wouldn't have planned that or I wouldn't have done that. And I've thought to myself, Now, it's regular to come back with this thought so that I don't really say the other thing anymore. Yeah, I bet you wouldn't have planned to suffer in this world, would you, either? Yeah, I sure wouldn't have. I sure wouldn't have planned a world. Can you imagine planning a world in which you will take upon flesh and you will suffer more than any human being in the history of the world? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And I think it's the most magnificent. It's really, in one sense, the only glorious explanation, a uh, helpful thing for me to say, here's something that shatters everything. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's that God himself has entered into this world and suffered on behalf of man. I tell you, what... What hurts me or disturbs me, it's not a matter of our being right as opposed to another religion, you see. It's not our trying to prove ourselves against different philosophies or whatever. It's the fact that I want people to see and believe and taste the goodness of the true God. You know, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who did give His Son to die in the place of man. And you feel the agony and the darkness and the pain of being shut off from that God and given a terrible substitute. And this fake God, this idol God, didn't do any of those things. He doesn't love in that way. He doesn't sacrifice in that way. He's not humble and self-giving in that way. He's just an invention of a man. And he looks a lot like a man. Whatever one you find, you'll find... In many respects, that's what they look like. But here is God. Here is God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege of making Him known. Let us pray. Lord, we praise You for this association with Christ. That Christ tells us to go and make disciples of the nations. Lord, may we do so with wisdom and compassion, true humility and brokenness. May we love people from the bottom of our hearts, truly befriend them, truly serve their needs, truly, Lord, manifest the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And may it be an aroma, Lord, an aroma of this glorious gospel An aroma of the very self-sacrifice of God himself in Jesus. Lord, may they see something, however faint it may be, something of the very love of God expressed in our community, our love for one another, and the love that we are seeking to show to our community. Oh, Lord, bless us and thank you that you have made sinners your fellow laborers. Praise your name. Amen. Our last hymn.